catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. A lot of people either do not know what it takes to enter into or switch career paths. So today we'll take you down the lane to help you demystify the roles and responsibilities in a tech space called venture capital. But then it's more of the venture capitalist itself because we've gone through what it is to be employed in a venture capital. So today we're looking at the venture capitalist itself. Today we have an expert in the area of funding for startups, especially in the tech space, to drive this conversation uh, to what's more important to consider. We're talking to the MD of Ingressive Capital. Ingressive Capital is a $10 million VC fund targeting early stage startups across sub-Saharan Africa's key tech markets. The founder of Ingressive for Good, a non-profit organization with a mission to create and increase the earning power of African youths through tech training and resources for the growth of the African startup ecosystem. I guess also founded Ingressive LLC, a market entry and market operations firm that has assisted more than 50 international companies to enter and operate across Africa. And they've done a collective 40 plus deals on the continent. Maya Hogan Famodu. Hello, Maya. Welcome. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. So I'd like us to begin with a question on, let's say someone listening who wants to hear firsthand what a regular day is for Maya at Ingressive Capital. I mean, the partner lifestyle proper daily routine for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it really depends on which day um, because a lot changes. Um, I've sort of publicized my my general daily schedule, which has really helped me um, get some structure and ensure that I'm both being able to reach out, build networks, and also focus on the execution side. So if it's Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, I'm typically ta- taking team meetings, taking investor meetings, meeting with you know potential new portfolio companies. Just those are my like external meeting days. Um, and also working on strategy with team with team members, et cetera, et cetera. If it's Tuesday or Thursday, I'm entirely offline, just focused on administration, strategy, operations, and backend support. Um, and then if it's over the weekend, I, uh, as a rare men- member of the VC and tech industry, don't actually work on the weekends. So on um, Sunday is dedicated to uh, spirituality and, you know, just prayer and being entirely offline and Saturdays are for friends. So it depends on which day of the week. <laughs> okay, that's like a proper rundown. How, how flamboyant is the lifestyle? <laughs> Uh, at all. I, I would say <laughs> my life is not flamboyant. Um, I, I keep things relatively simple. Um, I, I generally just need sunlight, something close to the ocean and space to do fitness activities. But I would not say anything is flamboyant. Um, aside from the fact I do a lot of traveling and so I'm a lot of different places throughout the year. Okay, so at a point, I used to think uh, there was nothing like starting from the bottom. And yes, there are different definitions and attachments to what uh, that actually means. But with conversations I've had with some people, I know that a lot of people actually start from the bottom, especially in these climbs. So let's better understand what your background or your started from the bottom story is in relation to venture capital. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, um, as far as my story, um, I come from very, very, very humble beginnings. My father uh, is a pastor in Nigeria. He he's not focused on making money. He just wants to serve the people. And my mom has been in the National Guard. She's retired now, but she was in the National Guard for twenty three years. Like active gunner on the tanks in Iraq, you know, fighting wars, things like like very serious military, you know, active duty type stuff. Um, and when I started, you know, we grew up in a trailer park in rural Minnesota, like very poor, like sometimes struggling to be able to buy milk, you know. Um, and so I really grew up with an acute understanding of what it's like to have the intelligence and the capacity and the grit to do something and then having circumstances outside my control, be them access or capital, preventing me from doing the things that I wanted to do. And that feeling was so troubling for me growing up. Like, you know, poverty is like a prison. It's so limiting and there's so much you cannot do um, in that space. And and especially in the U.S., being poor, it's all you can think about and plan for. And that, that that's experience was so troubling for me that, you know, part of my motivation of ingressive capital, ensuring that every African on the continent has the resources they need to build wildly scalable businesses, where that originally came from, in part, is the experiences I had growing up and wanting to ensure nobody else has to go through something like that. Um, So as far as humble beginnings, yeah, I started off from scratch, you know, no connections, no access, got a full ride scholarship to university, um, you know, applied of my own accord into the Cornell pre-law program, got at the internship myself at JP Morgan and in private equity research. And then when I started Ingressive uh, Advisory, the advisory firm literally went door to door, knocking at VC funds doors in Silicon Valley and Sand Hill and pitching to them and, you know, refusing to leave until they commit people coming to the continent with us. Um, And similarly, you know, reaching out on LinkedIn and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And even on the Nigeria side, I started with, you know, getting access to um, Mrs. Adiola Aziz uh, from Deutsche Bank. And uh, she agreed after some, you know, uh, (laughs) some emails, um, she agreed to have a meeting with me. We sat down. She introduced me to the five people you know she was closest to and trusted in business, and they introduced me to the five people they were closest to and in business with, and they introduced me to the five people they were closest to and been in business with, et cetera, et cetera, until I'd built up a big uh, network and having just continued to follow up, nurtured those relationships, was respectful, followed my word, you know, did what I say, said I was going to do. Um, was able to to build something to build something big, but it really, really, really did start from ground zero and no access or connections on my side. How important were these first contacts to you uh, in starting up Ingressive? Yeah, I would say, but like they were incredibly important. I would say, you know, if any, if anything, I have it's certainly persistence, and I can say, no matter what, I wouldn't have given up. And, you know, if I couldn't have found a relationship here, I would have found it there. Um, I would say I I am very, very, very grateful to a few of those who, you know, believed and supported us first, like Mrs. Adiola Aziz, uh, like Benga uh, Oyebode, like uh, Toye and the platform team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Even, you know, Nigeria Sovereign Investment Authority, um, those who really took the chance on us from the Nigeria side and then as well as from the U.S. side, like the 
the Michael of Y Combinator or Jason Seats at Techstars, et cetera, et cetera, even the 500 startups team, I would say that as much as it took our persistence and continued, you know, uh, desire and, and continuation of, of reaching out and just, you know, building those relationships, I've reached out to thousands of people on LinkedIn and Twitter and this, that, and the other. And we had, you know, maybe a 1% uh, uh, hit rate as far as like conversion rate. Um, but it still took those first people to really believe and understand the dream that we were trying to build. Um, and then also, uh, Joseph Glickman, so one of our fund investors and one of our you know nonprofit donors, somebody who's just really believed in me and in Gressive since day one. And I think it really takes those people who see the vision or are like, you know, this person has something there um, uh, to push the initiative ahead. We, we certainly would not have gotten anywhere had it not been for the initial investors and just, you know, network builders who who supported our mission yeah, so let's imagine that you're talking to a protege uh, how do you advise that they start this journey uh, are there any career paths training major ambition drivers how do you advise they pull this off yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say a few things, a few lessons learned from my side um, looking back is one, certainly, 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 uh, I will never again build a company without bringing in uh, advisors and experts who have done it before. Even two to three, you know, it's not a, a, a quantity, it's a quality. It's the people who will actively be uh, invested in my success. And like within those advisors, ensuring that they are two things that one they're they're removed from the situation as they don't benefit if you win or lose so just third party people who can give real unbiased perspective if anything they they uh can be incentivized if you win but certainly not you know competitive in any nature and the second one is they should be should have experience in the industry that you're actively building in for at least 10 years plus and really be in market experts so when they're advising you on the thing um and not only just in market experts but they've succeeded seated in the thing that you're that you're trying to build and you're consulting them with that's a thing that i realize in nigeria or greater you know in in africa more than the western world where people are just willing to give advice even if they have no experience succeeding in the thing that they're advising on and so just being very very careful about the people you're listening to and getting advice around and making sure that one there's no competition they have no vested in like the, it, it will only benefit them if you succeed and two you they have succeeded in the thing that you are targeting and the second thing i would say is spend time reflecting on oneself to understand your own uh, capabilities and weaknesses and that's like talking to people you've worked with before to get, you know, personality assessments and, and really, you know, spend having those like come to God moments, really thinking about like this, this is what isn't working professionally for me, or this is what I keep falling short on. I need support in this capacity. And it's not a, I'm not good at anything. I need to build out all of these skills or, you know, I'm not good at anything or I need to build out all these skills to change everything about myself. It's a, Hey, here are my natural strong points. And I'm going to fill in the team with people who have complementary skill sets. And so the other thing I would never do again is start a company without people also involved in the initiative. Like I'm not a good admin or, or like operations or like long-term, you know, maintenance builder. Um, I'm, I'm not good at the maintaining type of thing. It, it bores me and I just, you know, get distracted about it. What I am really good at is breaking down b barriers and breaking down walls and getting people excited about an initiative and starting things up. So I find people 
to come into the organization and, and buy into the mission and, you know, share equity and ownership with who are the maintainers and who are the operators and who do really fill in those other key skill sets that are not my strong point. So really spending the time to get to know yourself and then incentivizing with ownership, you know, obviously vested over time, but um, properly incentivizing people who have complementary skill sets to come into the mission with you. And the, and, and the third thing I would say that's very important for me um, and, and has and has continued to allow for success and, and, and all of the iterations is stay very, very, very committed to your destination, but flexible in the path you take to get there. You know, um, I, I originally started or tried to launch a $50 million fund when I was 23. So when I first started Ingressive, the reason I started Ingressive Advisory is because I tried to launch a $50 million fund. Didn't get very far with my whole year and change of work experience. And uh, instead of instead of getting investor capital up front, I said, you know what, I'll take you to Nigeria, I'll take you to Greater Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the key tech markets, and I will show you what's a, a high quality investment opportunity and then you can invest directly yourself. And so my goal was still to get to launching a fund and, you know, ensuring that every African, regardless of who they are, who they're connected to, has the resources they need to build wildly scalable businesses. That's always been my destination. That's always been my thesis statement. But first we had to do it through an advisory of, you know, providing investment advisory and and running firms Africa strategies and running firms Africa operations. And then we were able to launch, you know, a small fund or our smaller fund one or $10 million fund one. And then we were able to do it through our nonprofit that provides, you know, university and micro scholarships, technical skills, training and talent placement. And now we're able to do it with an even larger fund of, you know, launching this $50 million fund too. And so if I had been very strict with the path of I need to only, you know, launch a VC fund today and that's how i'm going to you know uh, pursue this goal you know it's it's my it's my step one it's my in market uh, or my go to market strategy if i had been so committed to that that i couldn't pivot with the market opportunities and i couldn't recognize you know the experience that i had and what that afforded me to do uh, i would still probably be at square one so stay very committed and very focused on your destination but be very flexible in the path that you take to get there yeah so one thing that caught my attention uh, is finding those who complement your skills and uh, properly incentivizing them although a lot of people around here uh, believe uh, talent is like very very difficult to find but I'd like to take us back a bit to the uh, started from the bottom story. A lot of people around here seem to believe that when you either lived in or are been to the United States, the odds when you return may just be in your favor. So if you're going to talk to those people who believe that, what's your take on this? Uh, because you've had a taste of both worlds, right? So what would you say to these people? So, you know, I grew up half in the U.S. I'm half Nigerian, half uh, American. And I have one other colleague who is um, part American. He lived in Ghana for a number of years before coming to, to Nigeria. Um, and then everyone else is, you know, indigenous Nigeria, Nigerian born and raised in Nigeria. And we have a Ghanaian and a Kenyan, you know, born and raised in, in Ghana, born and raised in Kenya, respectively. And with this, I would say one that in and of itself shows that, you know, our, our team is built of people who are and raised on the continent, uh, domestically educated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that Babcock and Covenant, there are few, they may be fewer, fewer and far between, 
but there are really exceptional universities that are pumping out technical talent that also give people the critical analysis and reasoning skills to be executive leadership at, at technology companies. And we, you know, specifically target those universities and a few other ones, you know, ALU and um, there are some other schools that that just consistently like their computer science their their design their engineering talent is just incredible and they're very very well-rounded students as well and and those are the the schools that we source from and i would say outside of that um you either find one of two things when you're looking for talent you either find ready-made people that have done exactly what you're hiring them to do before and you pay a premium for their previous skill set or you take people who have we're just smart and they're really hungry and they're humble and they have critical analysis skills like they can reason you can you're confident about their reasoning skills and you take those people and you maybe invest you know three six months in them and then you have the talent that you need in-house and i think when you're building in a place that has fairly underdeveloped infrastructure fairly low quality um, um training institutions really underdeveloped apprenticeships and and mentorship programs in the nation at, at large um, you really have to be ready to roll up your sleeves and invest in in talent. Like almost half of our team came from Ready Set Work and NYSC, and we spent years training before we could before everyone could operate really independently. And then now those people are becoming executive leadership in the in the firm. So um, it's not for lack of skill and brilliance; it's for lack of training. And if you're willing to invest the time and energy in people. Um, of course, you can find ready-made talent. You're just going to pay a pri high price for them, and there, you know, obviously a limited supply of them. But if you're ready to roll up your sleeves and and teach people and guide them and properly incentivize them with with ownership or you know meaningful compensation and and over time sort of reward and bonuses based on increased performance, so like just aligning incentives, you have an incredible resource pool to pull from. There's 1.2 billion people on the continent, 75% of them under the under the age of 35, 20% youth unemployment. There's just a lot of people waiting to be um, crafted on the continent, I would argue. And the other point is, you know, you don't have to be from the continent uh, in order to be successful at building businesses on the continent. We do actually have members of the team, myself included, um, who were either educated abroad or grew up abroad and have, you know, come back to the continent in the last seven to 10 years. And um, I, I think that it success I've seen in startups, there's some combination of, of all of these. There's people who have had exposure to international standards in the technical industry. There are people who, you know, in indigenous educated and ind indigenous, you know, professionally worked only within the nation that they're building and have a very acute understanding of their target demographic. And there's some combination of, of all of these and people who come from abroad and bring their networks and access and connections that brings, um, a different element and a, and a different opportunity to the project that they're working on. And so um, I think that there is a space for all of us. There's a space for all of us in the in the startup ecosystem on the continent. Sure. There's a lot of value to be added to the society. So just a lot of space for everyone to put in some value and put in some work. What really motivated you into going to venture capital in Africa, like bringing it back to Africa? That's one. And uh, you're in this field and most people who most people in a particular field have like insider knowledge to predict the changes and development in their field. Uh, if we take a peek into the future through your eyes, your lens, uh, what does the future hold for venture capital in Africa? 
Yeah. So to answer the last part first, so I'm already seeing all these rolling fund models really democratize access for people who, who don't necessarily um, want to or have the ability to raise large sums of money on the upfront before, you know, building out a track record. Uh, and I think this is a really incredible model that, and it really democratizes access to those who want to allocate capital, like those who want to become investors. Um, I also think we'll see an increase in the amount of retail investors so individuals who are putting you know small small tickets into startups and and that will be some either crowdfunding component or that will be um just you know people making you know communities of angel networks are making you know thousand dollar or like you know 500 or like 1 million naira you know investments etc cetera, etc cetera, and that being meaningful for very early stage startups um i also think there's just going to continue to be an increase from the institutional as well as the um, individual level of foreign investors actively participating on the continent. You see, you know, Japan having recently de dedicated capital billion, um, I believe two billion on a on a government government level. Um, the Jack Ma's of you know the Alibaba type initiatives investing you know in funds on the continent or, or having you know funds on the continent to deploy capital into startups and having entrepreneurship programs specifically t uh, targeted to and catering to Africans. You see USAID. And, and different departments within the U.S. having dedicated cap capital increasingly for the tech space um, and like the, what's tangentially related to the tech space, number of uh, sovereign entities and public sector funds across the European Union um, dedicated to entrepreneurship in Africa. Um, and then increasingly like the, you know, Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority that backed us, we see other sovereign entities and, and, and sort of um, government or public sector funds, including pension funds that are really thinking about tech or actively writing their first VC tickets. And as far as what really got me into the venture capital space on the continent, I can say that it was just a deep and uncompromising conviction that um, Africa was the next frontier. You know, I was pitching um, Africa before people thought it was cool <laughs> and well before people thought there was any opportunity. They're like, oh, Maya's just committed to this thing because it's like, oh, you know, connecting to family and you know being a you know trying to celebrate her african side this is like a cultural thing or this is like a identity thing it's not really a market opportunity but like hey whatever we'll entertain this in, in anyways and like <laughs> at the beginning there really wasn't a lot uh like people just were like this girl's crazy hyping this initiative i guess we're going to support it just because she's really loud and persistent but um we don't really know what's going on here um, so I would say from the beginning, it was like I was working in private equity research and there was a time when like I stopped being able to sleep at night. I like couldn't eat. I was so distracted. I go into work every day and all I'm searching is like tech in Africa articles and like reading about this company and researching what they do and like really understanding the market size and doing research reports myself. And, you know, I, I there was nothing else that I could do. And I'm really bad at doing anything other than exactly what I want to do. So so that equation meant no hope for anything other than pursuing this space. I mean, I think my own childhood coupled with understanding, you know, just macro and microeconomic trends that really just told, like said to me, like now Africa is now, now is the time. And being able to see, you know, the Andela's launch and, you know, the Jumia launches and the, you know, the, the, the first, the 1.0 um, um, of tech on the continent and the CC hub and the InterSwitch, you know, investments as they came, et cetera, et cetera. Just being able to understand that growth and like also having been raised around 
Nigerian entrepreneurs, understanding the unique resilience of African entrepreneurs that doesn't exist anywhere in the world. And so if the market is ready, you know that the African entrepreneur will build. And so just having the like really just FOMO around that and being like, I need to get involved in this. I know I know something's happening and I know something more is going to happen. I can't just ignore this. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.